have your Bible, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 4. What I enjoy about picking up in the middle of a series is I don't have to explain the book of Galatians to you. If you missed Dave's sermon on that, go listen to it at elevationbillings.com. We're just going to pick up the story. You like how I did that? We're just going to pick up the story right here in Galatians chapter 4. Let's start in verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone, but at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. Now, I'm going to pause there because I am not quite so discouraged with all of you. I believe in you. I'm not disappointed in you like Paul was with the Galatians. But uh, you can tell by his tone there that this is an important passage. Let's continue. Verse 21, tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout. You who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear children, or I'm sorry, you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son. For the son of the slave woman will not share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So, this can be a little confusing. He's talking about slave woman, free woman, Sinai, Jerusalem. It can be a little confusing. So, let's take a few steps back to the book of Genesis. I'm not going to make you open there. It's an easy one, I know, but I'm not going to make you open there. But if you, when we first get to the story of Abraham, his name is Abram. And I'm going to explain the difference in a moment. And God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, leave this land that you know and go to the land I will show you. He's telling him, pack up all your things and just get moving. I'll guide you as we go. So Abram believes God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he sets out for a land he does not know to have this inheritance that he has not seen. And so at this point, Abraham's 75. Ten years later, when he's 85, God comes to him again and says, let's make a covenant. Let's make a deal. It's like a contract. And I'm not going to go into the details because that takes a ton of time, but you can look it up for yourself. God says, let's make a deal. He makes his covenant with Abraham. He says, here's the deal. This is a great deal. I'm going to give you everything, and you don't owe me anything. How's that sound? Abraham's like, that sounds pretty good, I guess. So God says, I'm going to give you a son, and from that son will come numerous uh, descendants. He says they'll be like the stars in the sky, the grains of sand on a beach. So Abraham goes home to his wife, Sarai, and he says, hey, God just said we're going to have a kid. She says, you're 85, and I'm 75. That's not going to happen. So she thinks to herself, I have a plan. I will give him my slave 
Hagar as a second wife. He'll have the kid with her. It'll work out. Now, we're often really harsh on Sarai, but think about it. A lot of you wives can testify. Sometimes you feel like you've got to intervene in your husband's plan for it to work. It's, it's, it's a little bit fair to understand why she felt that way. He comes home saying, hey, I know I'm 85 and you're 75, but let's have a kid. She's like, uh, let's think about this. Let's take a couple steps back. Unfortunately, her steps back were in this step away from God, but we'll get to that. So 15 years after this son Ishmael is born with Hagar, God comes back and he says, oh, remember when I promised you a son through Sarai? It's going to happen. I'm going to change your names, God says. Abram means high exalted father. It's like, it means he's a descendant of kings. Sarai means my princess. It's a beautiful name, but it implies that her ancestors were important. God goes, no longer will you be Abram and Sarai. You're going to be Abraham, father of many nations, and Sarah, the mother of nations. What's he saying? He's saying, quit looking to the past to get your identity because I'm giving you a future in your old age. At this point, they're 90 and 100 years old, and God says, it's time for me to give you this son and these descendants I've been promising you. And Sarai laughs at God. And here's where God comes up with this line that I'd, I'd love for you guys to memorize sometimes. Genesis 18, 14. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? God, the master of the rhetorical question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Ask yourself that sometime. But I'm getting ahead of myself here. So he gives them the son Isaac, the son born of the Spirit. God fulfilled his promise in Isaac 15 years after Abraham tried to fulfill the promise himself. So this is the story the Apostle Paul's unpacking. He takes a very interesting uh, tone on it, and I wish I could preach on every facet of this story, but you know, you guys probably have lives unlike me, so I'll keep it, I'll keep it brief. Keep it brief. So this is where Paul picks up the story. Here's my first point to you. Everyone has a pull away from Christ-likeness. Abraham's pull was clear. He felt like if he didn't fulfill the promise on his own, God wasn't going to. He's an old man. His wife was an old woman, and they'd never have kids, so he's thinking, if this is going to happen, maybe God wants me to step in. His pull away from Christ-likeness was to take a step that he considered to be practical. Sometimes our pull away from Christ-likeness is a relationship or a situation or an opportunity. Maybe you felt God leading you one direction, but the other direction has more money in it. Either way, everyone has a pull away from Christ-likeness. Here's my second point. God is the God of your impossible. To a 75-year-old man, Having a son felt impossible, right? He's 85 by the time he has Ishmael. It felt impossible. But God says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Whatever you think is impossible in your life, I'm here to tell you, is not impossible for God. Not impossible for him. Here's the third point. There are often tangible consequences for your sin and rewards for your righteousness. Let's take another look at verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 4. The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from the slave wife and one from the freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. You see, God did come through with his promise, and they had this wonderful son, Isaac, but they already had a 15-year-old boy living with them named Ishmael. And you see, God had promised Hagar that Ishmael was going to be a wild donkey of a man. Ishmael was violent. He was tough. He was stubborn. He was mean. He picked on Isaac while they were alive. And to this day, Ishmael's descendants are Arabs. They still fight Ishmael and Isaac. 4,000 years after Abraham's little slip of faith, those people are still fighting. They're still dying. We read about it in the news all the time. That's the consequence of Abram's sin. But yet, Isaac was still there. God fulfilled his promise. So here's the tension that's, that's difficult to understand. God has a beautiful plan for you. I believe he has a plan for each and every one of us. It is a part of his salvation for us. However, our sin can disrupt that plan. 
Let me illustrate with one more story from the Old Testament. Do you remember when God led his children out of Egypt, out of slavery to the promised land? And when they got to the edge of Canaan, the promised land, he says, go ahead, send in some scouts. Take a look at what I have for you. He's like a father who buys a new house and says, go in, kids, look at your new room that I made for you. They go in there and they freak out. They come back to Moses and say, these people are giants. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. Their cities are fortified. I mean, it's a cool place, but it's not worth it. And Moses was like, what? All but two of their spies believed that the promised land was going to be too hard to take. So because of that, God's beautiful plan for this promised land just to be theirs, he had to take it away for 40 years. The people who had doubted God had to die in the desert before their children could inherit the promised land. Now, it wasn't their children's fault. Their children had to wander the promise. They had to wander the desert with them for 40 extra years because of their lack of faith. Same thing. Isaac had to get noogies from his brother Ishmael every day because of Abraham's lack of faith. You see what I'm saying? Sometimes your sin and other people's sins has consequences on God's plan for your life. He still loves you. He still has a redemptive plan, but you can really disrupt that with your choices. Although Jesus does have this plan of redemption, you can disrupt it. Here's my fourth point. If you feed the flesh, it will follow you. Let's take another look at verse 29. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, child born by effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. It's like he said, the flesh followed Isaac and his line because of Abraham's lack of faith. This morning I was trying to eat my breakfast and I was up really early and I was tired and I'm not very coordinated in general. So I dropped a little bit of food on the floor and my sister's new puppy ran up and ate it and I could not get rid of him for the rest of the day. I'm surprised he didn't jump in my car to follow me because if you feed a puppy, he will follow you. The flesh is the same way. When you feed that flesh, that sin, that sin nature, it will follow you. It's like those books, if you give a pig a pancake, you remember reading those maybe as a kid or you read them to your kid, it's like how to be selfish, it's the same thing. That's how the flesh is. If you feed the flesh, if you give the flesh a pancake, it will follow you. Abram's little slip of faith turned into a massive conflict to this very day, some 4,000 years later. Here's my fifth point. You might get what you want faster with the flesh, but it will not be better than what the Spirit has for you. How many of you like coffee? Anyone? Raise your hands. Wow, not a lot of you. Some of you better get into coffee because you look tired this morning. (laughs) Here's the deal. There's lots of different kinds of coffee, right? How many of you would be willing to admit you like instant coffee? Anyone? Okay, it's a polarizing product. I know, I hear a no, and I hear like a yeah, like that's how I am. I thought I hated instant coffee, and then I tried it, and it's like, it's okay. I enjoy it sometimes, but last Monday... I was typing out my Deuteronomy paper, and I was behind because my computer crashed, and I lost all my progress. I know, it's very sad. But I was typing, and I was sipping on my instant coffee, and it wasn't that great, but it's what I had in my office, and took like 12 seconds to make. And I heard a knock on my door, and I turned around for my Deuteronomy paper, and it was my mother with a City Brew Frappe. Now, if you know me, you'll know that I love City Brew Frappes, next to maybe Jesus America and 90s R&B star Shaggy. Like, those are my favorite things, Frappes. And so... When she handed me that frappe, I brushed the instant coffee aside. I'm surprised I didn't burn myself. I was like, get out of the way, instant coffee. The frappe is here. I love frappes. Now, here's the deal. The instant coffee took me like 35 seconds to make, and that involves 30 seconds of waiting for the water to cool down. The frappe, she had to drive to City Brew. She had to wait in line. She had to order. She had to wait for them to bring it out, and the frappe takes like an hour and a half to make. It feels like... They gave it to her. She even did the thing where you like peel off the wrapper so there's a little bit of wrapper left on the top of the straw. She drove it back here to my office and gave it to me. It was not instant. The instant coffee was, it took like 
Split second, and it was done. But it was not as good as the city brew. Here's the deal. I'm going to make an analogy that might surprise you. The Holy Spirit is like city brew frappes. It takes longer. Sometimes you get tired of waiting for it. But when you get it, it is so much better than the instant coffee of the flesh. You guys understand that analogy, right? We love coffee. This is America. (laughs) I'll move on, but allow me to read you a verse out of 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The Lord isn't slow. He just doesn't operate on your clock. Thank you. Now I'm going to give you some application points, some actions to take. Here's the deal. Life comes down to two choices, spirit or flesh. And being a Christian means choosing the spirit. Abram chose both. He chose to have a son by the flesh, and then later... He chose to have a son by the Spirit. But you don't have to choose both. You don't have to make that mistake. You don't have to to go through with that sin that's going to cause you pain and going to cause others pain. Being a Christian means you have the choice of picking the Spirit every time. And I'm here to tell you, it's always worth it. The Holy Spirit's like a delicious cold frappe compared to your lukewarm instant coffee of the flesh. Always choose the Spirit and you won't be disappointed. How do you know what's God's best? That's the question. People go, yeah, I want to do what God wants for me, but how do I know? Here's the secret. You ready for this? It's two words. Ask him. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 2.14. The person without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the spirit. The things of the spirit are discerned, are understood, are interpreted by the spirit. It's not a secret. He's the one that gives you guidance and he's the one that interprets it. And we also have a little bit of a cheat sheet. How many of you like cheat sheets? right? Glenn over here, he's like, no, I'm a seminarian. We don't use cheat sheets. Whatever, Glenn. You know we do. Here's the deal. We have a cheat sheet from the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Bible. If you want to know what he has to say to you, start there. Open your heart to what he has to say to you. Ask him for help. I believe he will guide you. That's how you know what God's best for your life is. Ask him. Don't ask me because I'll tell you you need to go be a missionary or something. You'll be bummed. Ask him. Here's my seventh point. Actually, uh, yeah, here's my seventh point. Don't let others talk you out of God's best for your life. Abram talked himself out of God's best with a little bit of help from his wife. He comes home and he goes, God gave me this promise. And she goes, yeah, that's cool and all, but let's let's think practically here. And he goes, okay, because he apparently wasn't very smart. He let her talk him out of God's best, and he talked himself out of God's best. It doesn't sound like it was all her idea. Don't let anybody talk you out of God's best. You know, I got to show respect to my mom because when I was a kid, she never let me talk her out of anything. I'd be like, yo, mom, can I go to bed late? She's like, no, you want to die? I will kill you. And I did not doubt her because I knew she would. She never let me bully her out of anything. And at the time, it was frustrating, but it made me a better adult. The same way, be like my mom. Don't let anybody talk you out of God's best. Just say, no, talk to the left because you ain't right, as my friends say, if I had any friends that say that. (laughs) Here's the deal. Don't. Talk me out of God's best for my life. Don't. Everybody has a, God has a plan for everybody. Everybody has the God's best. Don't let anybody swindle you out of it. Don't let anybody cheat you out of it. Hebrews 10.23 says this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Hold unswervingly. Find out what God's best is and cling to it. Don't let it go. 
Be like that little kid that grabs onto his uncle's leg and just won't let go. Like you're just like shaking him off and you can't get rid of him. Be like that, only instead of somebody's leg, cling on to God's best. Don't let anybody pull you off of it. And here's my eighth point. Live in God's promises, not your past mistakes. Listen, we've all done things we're ashamed of. There are things in everybody's life that you wouldn't want anybody to know about you. But here's this thing. You don't have to live in the past. Jesus' death on the cross has erased your past, and all you have to do is turn away from it and look to the future. Abraham, when God changed his name, he said, quit looking to the past for your identity. I have a future for you. It's the same way with you. Maybe God isn't going to change your name. I hope not because I have a hard enough time learning all your names. But look to the future. Look to what God has for you. He has a future for you. And all you have to do is cling to it. And I guarantee you, you won't be disappointed. Listen, I have regrets about my past. One of them is related to following Jesus. My only regrets are related to the times I walked away from what Jesus had for me. Don't make those mistakes. You don't have to. You got Jesus.